Thank you for checking out the Mercy Hill Church Sermon Podcast. If you would like to know more about Mercy Hill, you can visit us on the web at mercyhill.cc. Good morning. I'm going to turn with me to Luke 5. I want to echo what Adam was saying about God's Word. There's nothing else in all of creation that God has promised to bring alive through the work of His Holy Spirit and to impress upon our hearts who the person of Jesus Christ is in the way of salvation like His Word. This is unique among everything else in, in all of creation. And my hope for us as a church is that as we dig into His Word week after week that we would submit ourselves to the Word of God and allow God's Word to Reveal Jesus to us. Reveal to us what God is doing and what God is like. What He's asking of us and what He is calling us to. So that's why this is so important for us. This is why we dig into it every week. This is life. This is food. This is, this is our bread. All right. Luke 5. We're going to look at the, the call of of Simon or Peter, and this is a little bit of a fishing story, a fishing tale. I remember the best day of fishing in my entire life. I was up in northern Minnesota, and we were up there scouting for a missions trip we were going to take with the youth, and so we went up to stay with this missionary couple's house, and he happened to have a nice bass boat, and he said, you know what, if you guys want to go out fishing, I'll take you guys, you and, you and your friend out fishing. So I'm like, great, love to fish. We went out in this lake in northern Minnesota, and we drove back in these logging trails for about half an hour, get to this lake. There's no one on this lake. There's no houses on this lake, no docks on this lake, no other boats. I mean, completely empty. It's beautiful, pristine lake. And from the moment that we began, like from when we hit the water to the time we pulled the boat out, we were catching fish all day long. It was awesome. I've never fished like this in my entire life. I mean, it was like the guys, as we're pulling up, the guys like, look, we were out here last week. We caught nothing. I just want to warn you that the fishing, you know, I mean, it was, it was the end of May, but the ice had just cleared off the lakes where we were at. So, I mean, it was like this water is still just, you know, it's freezing cold. And so, like, we're, we weren't expecting much. And, man, it was awesome. Like I said, it was, it was something else. We really had a great time that day. But that day of fishing was nothing compared to what Peter, James, and John experienced on a day on the lake with Jesus. That was nothing compared to what we were going to read about today in God's Word and what God did around in, 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 in these guys. So as we approach God's Word, let's, let's come with prayer, asking God to help us. So Lord, we approach Your Word, Your Holy Word, God, that You promised is living and active. God, it is sharp. Lord, it, it, it penetrates our hearts and our lives and our thoughts and our intentions and our attitudes. And so, Lord, we come and we ask that you would bring your word to life through your Holy Spirit in our hearts. And Lord, we thank you for your word that reveals Jesus to us. And Lord, I pray that you would give us undivided hearts, undivided thoughts. Let's fix our eyes upon you, Lord. We come hungry. Lord, we need your word. We need you. We need you to speak to us. We are desperate 
for you, O God. Where else do we have the words of life but in you? Lord, I pray you'd help us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's dig into the story. Let's start Luke chapter 5, verse 1, and we'll kind of walk our way through this, and in the end, we'll, we'll talk about the things that we've read. So here we are. This is Luke 5. We see in Luke 4, Jesus standing in the synagogue, declaring to everyone, I'm the, I'm the anointed Messiah. I've come to bring good news for people, and my job is to proclaim the good news about who I am and my saving power And the way of salvation is through me. And he says, I'm doing this to the poor and the broken and the blind and the captive. I'm bringing this good news to to all people. Then we see Jesus going around. He's he's casting out demons, healing people, preaching in the synagogues. Now Now we get to Luke chapter 5. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, He was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. Now, if you you think about this, this isn't a nice, orderly church service, okay? Jesus isn't in front of a bunch of people who are sitting in nice, even rows, all laid out, and we can all kind of, you know, come and, and hear the word of God. People are pressing in on him. There's probably hundreds, if not thousands of people, most of whom are sick, right? So you can, you can imagine this. If, if, you're, if you show up and you know Jesus is healing people, and you know the Word of God is being proclaimed, unlike anyone's ever heard before, no one's heard someone proclaim the Word of God like Jesus was proclaiming the Word of God before. And you show up and your son is sick, and there's no hope from the, the, the medical institutions aren't helping you, doctors don't know what to do, but you know that this guy in the, front of the, in front of the crowd can heal. He has the words of life. Well, guess what? There's a thousand people between you and this guy. What are you going to do? You're going to press in, aren't you? You're not going to sit in the back and say, well, hopefully after everyone in front of me gets healed, then we'll have time for my son to come up and get healed. It probably wasn't like that. People are pressing in. People are pushing the way forward. People are jockeying for position. People are trying to get their kids to the front of the line. There's no other hope for my son, but this guy has got the words of life, and he can heal. So you can imagine, this was a bit of a mob scene, if you will. People are pressing in on Jesus. He's here at the lake of, it says, Gennesaret. It's another word of saying the Sea of Galilee. Matthew and Mark use the Sea of Galilee. It's the same place. This isn't, this isn't a neat and orderly church service, okay? Now, look what happens next. And he, Jesus, saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. So here Jesus is at the lake, people pressing in, probably getting backed up into the water a little bit here. What's he going to do? Well, he sees two boats off to the side, fishermen washing their nets. He says, hey, let's... Let's do something about this, okay? I have an idea. Let's get into the boats, all right? Now, I want to give us a little, little inside scoop on this, on this, the fishermen washing the nets. The fishermen that were washing the nets were probably using what were called trammel nets, okay? And trammel nets were linen nets that were visible to fish during the day, but not at night. And so here they were washing their nets, 
that they had just been out the night before. And so they were only used during the night. Uh, it needed two to four men to deploy these nets and needed to be washed daily. So I'm not 100% sure that that is the case, but probably these were these trammel nets that needed to be cared for and washed daily. were only used that night because the fish could see them during the day. Okay? Number, verse 3, getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's or Peter, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. So here Jesus is. He, he gets into Simon's boat, sits down. It was the normal way of teaching at that time. You sat down to teach. He sits down and begins to teach the people. And he's using the natural surroundings as an amphitheater for his, for his voice. So here he is. He's pushing out a little bit. He's using it as a way in which he could speak to hundreds, if not thousands of people. Verse 4. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Now, you have to imagine this. Peter sitting there, the aged fisherman, the expert, the, the professional, the guy who knows a little something about fish. Here's the guy sitting in his boat who's a carpenter by trade. Maybe have never fished in his life, right? Showing up, and he gives one of the most ridiculous requests Peter's ever heard before, all right? Now, think of this. They just got finished cleaning their nets, okay? So you can imagine, hey, let's, let's go, hey guys, let's head out a little bit deeper and let's go fishing, right? What do you say? And they're like, uh, we just got done, and uh, we just finished cleaning these nets, we worked hard last night. We just got done. You want us to put a little overtime in, right? Not only that, but see, these nets are used during the night. Fish can see these nets during the day, right? Jesus, this is a little bit of a, a ridiculous request, okay? You don't really know what you're talking about here. I know what I'm talking about. You don't know what you're talking about and so you can almost hear the reluctance in Peter's voice when he says to him, he says, and Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, right? He's saying, Jesus, do you really think this is a good idea? Really? Seriously? We worked all night for this. We caught nothing. We just got done washing our nets. These nets do not work during the day. And you're requesting that we go out and do a little more fishing, Right? But you can imagine Peter in his thinking, right? He's, he's sitting there, he's thinking, look, when this boat is used as a pulpit to preach God's word from Jesus, that's great, you're the man. But when this boat turns back into a fishing vessel again, guess, the one, guess who's the one who's in charge? Guess who's the one who's calling the shots now? Hey, I'm the guy in charge. I do this for a living. Leave it to the professionals to know you don't fish during the day after we've caught nothing and just got done washing the nets, right? That's, that's what Peter's probably thinking at this moment. But then he says this, but at your word, I will let down the nets. Now, at this point, if this was a movie, the music would begin to change. Something's going to happen. Things start picking up, okay? Verse 6, and when they had done this, they let down the nets, they enclosed 
a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. Verse 7, they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink, right? Luke in this passage is making sure we are crystal clear on the size of the catch that they're having, right? He's like, he's like, look, they put the nets in the water. They got a huge number of fish. Not only that, but the nets begin to break. Not only that, but then they call their partners over to help them, and both boats begin to sink. This was a large, massive, unbelievable, supernatural catch of fish. This is, this is like nothing they've ever seen before. This is one of those catches of fish they'd be talking about for the rest of their lives, right? Someone's like, yeah, well, I had this good, good day on the lake one time. Like, oh, that's nothing. You know, wait till you hear this one, okay? Nets breaking, boats sinking. It was unbelievable. You've got nothing on my story, buddy. And this, this is what's going on right now. Now, as I, as I was reading it this, this week, I begin to think, what would your response be at this moment? If you're Simon Peter, how would you respond to what's happening around you? What would you say? What would you think? Well, I thought a, a couple different things I, I would probably say, right? First thing I'd probably say is, look, this is great. Can you meet me here tomorrow at the same time, okay? Please. This is, this is great. You're like the best fishing buddy I've ever had. Let's do this again tomorrow, okay? Or how about maybe, you know what, Jesus? When we get back to land, listen, I'm going to do something amazing. I will give you 10% of the fish, right? I will tithe fish to you, 10%. How about it, Jesus? Are you happy now? I'll give you your 10% that you asked for? Or, you know, maybe thinking, you know what, if we, can, if we can do this the next couple of weeks, I can take early retirement, okay? This is like, this is great for me. This is great for my business. We're going to put everyone out of business around us, okay? We're going to catch all the fish in this lake, and then no one will have anything except us. But look what Peter's response is. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Peter's response Is this a good response? Is this the appropriate response, right? Well, he has an observation in his response, right? What's his observation? It's this, I'm a sinner, right? That's his observation. Lord, I'm a sinner. That's what I know. I know this to be true, that I am a sinner. And so we look and say, yes, that's right. Correct observation. Peter, you got that one right. Good job. But what's his conclusion? It's leave me alone. Get away from me. Don't, don't come near me. It's the wrong conclusion. Comes to the wrong conclusion. Correct observation, wrong conclusion. I remember talking with a guy when I worked at Leaps, talking with a guy in the warehouse one day, 
And I was talking about the Lord, and I invited him to church, and he said, he said, John, he's like, you know what? You have no idea of the bad things that I've done, and I've done a lot of bad things. If I ever were to step foot in a church, God would strike me dead on the spot. Now, his, that, guy's, that guy's understanding, that guy's conclusion and observation were the same thing as Peter's. It's the exact same thing Peter was thinking. Man, I can't even be near you. Get away from me. I, and I don't know, I forget what I, what I told the guy. I think I said something along the lines of, you know, he doesn't have to wait till you're in church to strike you dead. He can do that wherever he wants. It's not like the church is the place where he gets people dead or strikes them dead. He can do that at your house or on the street or wherever you're at. But what should Peter's response have been? How should, have, how should Peter have responded? Because the temptation for us is to read a passage like this, okay? And say, okay, Peter, Peter was, he admitted he was a sinner. We're going to read in just a couple of verses that he admitted he's a sinner, he leaves everything and follows Jesus, so therefore we need to be like Peter, okay? Um, the sun's throwing pacifiers at me. But his response and our response needs to be this. I am a sinner. Therefore, Lord, do not leave me. God, do not leave me alone. I need you. God, I will not let go of you. Lord Jesus, you are my only hope. Come near to me, please. But even as Christians, even as believers, we do this all the time. I think I had three different conversations this week that went something along the lines of this. I don't feel like I'm a good Christian. I don't feel like I'm a good Christian. I've sinned. I've disobeyed God. Or I feel like a hypocrite. I feel like I just, how can I, how can I worship God? How can I do any, I just, I feel like a hypocrite. And talking with someone last week about the person, hey, you know what, I don't feel like a good Christian. We've all felt that way. We've all felt that, oh, I'm just a, I'm just, I'm rotten, man. I don't know what to do. I just feel distant from God. I just, how can I even sing songs? How can I pray? How can I do any of these things? And I said to this person, I said, look, you know what? You're right. You're right. You are a bad Christian, and so am I. And I said, look around this church. We're all bad Christians here. There is no one that will be able to stand before Almighty God on the judgment day and say, God, I'm a good Christian. I've got it, man. I'm, I'm the whole package here. I'm it. No one will be able to do that. Because we're measuring ourselves not by God's standard, but by other people. Because there will be always someone who claims to be a Christian who does worse things than us, and there will always be people who claim to be Christians who do, in our minds, better things than us. We've got Mother Teresa up here, and then we've got some of the people in this church over here, and then down here we've got like some other really bad ones, Right? And so there's this understanding in our minds, in our hearts, that, you know what, I'm just not measuring up. But God's standard is so much greater, so much higher than, than anything that we can ever imagine or dream of. It's perfection. That's God's standard. When we measure ourselves against that standard, no one makes it. No one comes close. No one's a good Christian on that standard. Not even Mother Teresa is a good Christian on that standard. No one makes it. 
And I feel like we, in some way, come to that conclusion even as believers, don't we? How can I even worship God this Sunday? How can I even pray? How can I, how can I pretend to even know God when I act the way that I do this week? And I feel like the conclusion that we need to come to and the proper conclusion is this, that I am not a good Christian. However, Lord Jesus, come near to me because I am the very one that you came to save. He says, I'm the very, Jesus said, I'm, man, I've come for those who are in captivity to sin. I've come to set those who are blind, who do not see me, to open your eyes to see Jesus. I have come that you may know me and know the risen Savior and receive forgiveness for your sins. Amen. He says, that's who I came for. When we sit here and say, I'm not a good Christian, therefore, not, Lord, get away from me and I can't worship him, I can't. It's therefore, Lord Jesus, I'm the one you came for. There's hope for me. There's hope for us bad Christians out here who need Jesus because we're the very ones he came to save. Amen. We're the very ones he came to set free. We're the very ones that he said, I will open your blind eyes. I will open your ears to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. We're the ones he came for. And so there's hope for us. There is hope for us. You may have had the worst week of your life. And you know what? Jesus Christ says, I invite you back to me again because I love you. You may come here this Sunday and had a great week. Man, you may have witnessed all kinds of people. You may have given all kinds of money in the offering. You may have prayed every day and read the Bible every day and done all kinds of great things. But we still relate to God based upon what Jesus Christ has done, not on our good works. That's how we always relate to God, based on what Jesus Christ has done. So there's hope for us. There is hope for us. And this is exactly why we need Jesus. Because He's the one who gives us hope. He's the one who gives us hope when we have no other hope. Because all of us have had, if you, if you think about your week, Man, the kids did something this week, and I don't want to get into all the gory details of what happened, but um, I'm trying to think how to sanitize this for, because for, it goes on the internet, and um, one of the kids decided that it would be a good idea to um, do something that you usually do in a bathroom on the floor of his bedroom then walk around in it and smear it everywhere. And I, 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 I went up to the room and I, I look around and I'm like, wow, what's going on here? I just, I'm like the dumb dad who's like, oh man, that's kind of weird. There's like footprints everywhere and kind of, you know. And, uh, you know, after like five minutes of just looking around and taking inventory of what's happening and why my kids are laughing so hard and I realize what it is. And I, by the grace of God, I've never blown up and lost it on my kids, but I was so close. I was so close. I actually called Michelle and said, Michelle, I'm going to kill one of our, one of our kids. I'm going, to ki- I'm going to kill them. I'm going to kill them right now. Please, I, please come home soon because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to murder one of, our, one of our kids. And uh, I mean, it's 930 at night. What do you do? There's no, like, you can't call someone and say, come over to clean this up, like... It's your job, right? I mean, what are you going to do? So thank goodness for Michelle and, and Courtney and Elizabeth who came over and 
they were coming home and they cleaned up and did all kinds of great things. And so I didn't end up killing one of our, our children. So, but here's the thing though. I realized at that moment that, that as, I, as I began to almost lose it with my kids, there's this, I'm like, what are you doing? Why have you done this? Did you think this was a good idea? Did, when, did you, when did this occur to you that this is something that you should do? Like, this is something that would be funny? It just, I was just like, oh, I was just so angry. And um, afterwards, after just, you know, thinking about everything, the Lord convicted me. And he said, do I speak to you that way? Am I, do, when, when, when you have walked in stuff and then walked all over your room and you're sitting there like a fool, do I come up to you and say, you idiot, what are you thinking, John? I can't believe you thought this was a good idea. Oh, I just, oh, you're, just, you're so disgusting. He doesn't treat us that way. I had to go to my son and just repent. Son, I am so sorry. Daddy was angry. I was unkind. I should not have spoken to you that way. It's not how God speaks to us. And I realized at that moment that that is, that is indicative of all of us. We've all done that. And God doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. Because that, the wrath and the judgment that we deserve was put upon Jesus Christ on the cross. And now when God looks at us, he doesn't just see us with messy feet walking around the bedroom. He sees his son, Jesus. Our lives are hidden in Christ. And so now we belong to God, and he treats us not as we deserve, but as, this, but as sons and daughters of God. That is what God has done. Now let's look at what Jesus, how Jesus replies to Simon. Verse, this is the second half of verse 10 and verse 11. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. What what a great story. Jesus did not give Simon what he had asked for. He could have said, okay, great. If that's what you really want, okay, see ya. He didn't do that. He said, said, don't be afraid. There's a concern, there's a care, there's a love. Jesus, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. From now on, you're going to catch men. And you know what? Jesus does one of the most amazing things. You know what he does? He calls Peter on mission with himself. He calls Peter to go on mission with him. He says, you know what? I'm going to have you catch men. And this word in the Greek it's, it's not like catching men in a net so you can kill them and, you know, eat them. This is a word that means to catch alive, right? It's a word that means to catch alive. It's like to catch for the purpose of life. And that's what he's saying. You're going to catch men alive for the purpose of rescuing them. And what I love about this story is Peter realized, and we realized from reading this, this was not, this was not, a story about Peter's great fishing skills. It's not like he happened to put the nets in just right and position the boats just properly to get the big catch of fish. This was purely and solely the Word of God in its power to produce the very thing God said it would. So Jesus, Jesus says, 
put down your nets for a catch, what is going to happen? They will catch some fish. Nothing else other than that is going to happen. When God's word goes out, that's the very thing that's going to happen. What God says will happen, happens every time. I've also, just thinking about this, I'm amazed. When you think about starting, if you were going to start a world revolution, you wouldn't go to kind of the common average people to to help you on this revolution, would you? We would go to the scientists, we would go to the the winsome um, people with all the connections and money and the, the politicians, the people that are able to kind of get things done. That's who we would go to. What Jesus does is find some below average fishermen who had a bad day on the lake and calls them to himself. Acts 4.13, you don't have to turn there, but Acts 4.13 is a story of how, a true story of how Peter and John are testifying before the Jewish leaders. The Jewish leaders look at these guys who are testifying to Jesus, and this is what they say. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived, this is, this is the perception of Peter and John. Okay, this, These are the guys who Jesus is calling to himself on mission. He says this, this is what the leaders perceive. They perceive that they were uneducated, common men. They were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. That's who these guys are, common, uneducated men who had been with Jesus. I read this and think, oh, there's good hope for me. Seriously, I'm common, not above average. I'm just a common person who has been given the opportunity to share in the ministry of Jesus. That's who we all are. I don't care what your parents told you. You're common, okay? We all are. That's who we are. We're common people. But you know what? Any fruit we see, the glory goes to God. Can you imagine Peter getting back to the shore and saying, guys, look what I did. This is my idea to you know, put the nets in this way and look at the fish that we caught. We did this work. We decided to go back out. We decided to throw the nets in. We decided where to do that at. It was the positioning of the bow to just, you know, and Peter taking the credit for it. He could take no credit for this. This was a supernatural work of God that can only be attributed to the power of God's word breaking in. And so just like that, any fruit that we see in our church, in our lives, in the friends around us, all glory goes to God. God gets all the glory for it. We, we do nothing but just follow Him and obey Him. We're common. There's nothing that we have that's so winsome and so powerful that could ever change a heart. That's the work of God's Holy Spirit through His Word doing that work. And that's what God is doing. And the amazing thing is, He calls us on mission with Himself. He calls us on mission. He doesn't just... Just save us, redeem us, and put us on a shelf. He saves us, redeems us, and says, come with me. And for Peter and James and John, these guys saw this catch of fish. This, this, they knew fish, and they knew that this was a supernatural work of God. This is, 
For them, this was a living parable. Jesus communicating to these guys, look, what just happened was supernatural, okay? This was not attributed to your own fishing skills. This is solely my work. Now guess what? We're going to go catch men. And you know what? That work is also a supernatural work that is empowered by me. When you're with me, this kind of stuff happens. It's not on your own ability. It's not your own skill. This is about... It's not about what you do, it's about who's in the boat with you. And Jesus is saying, look, when I'm with you, we're going to go catch some men, and it's not going to be like anything you've ever even realized before. We look at the beginning of Acts, at the day of Pentecost, Peter stands up and preaches a message to people. The very people who had just uh, killed Jesus, Peter stands up and says, you killed Jesus. You need to repent and be baptized. You know what happens that day? 3,000 people get saved. Peter preaches like a three-minute message. 3,000 people get saved that day. That's a supernatural catch of fish, right? That doesn't happen on your own strength. That doesn't happen because Peter was so persuasive in his presentation. It wasn't because the setting was just right, because everyone was ready to hear God's word. These people had, weren't looking for God's word, and yet God broke in. And so for us, we need to be reassured. When we come to church, when we come, approach God during our day, when we think about how does God treat me, how does God interact with me, it is not based on the quality of your obedience to God that week or that day or that hour. It is based upon the work of Jesus Christ. And if you're sitting here today and you feel like, you know what, I don't even know how I'm sitting here today. I'm surprised God hasn't struck me dead in this church. You know what? You are in the right place because God in his mercy and his grace is extending to you the gift of salvation. God is extending to you the gift of salvation today. And we trust in Jesus that he died for our sins, that that being right with God isn't based upon what we do, but on what Jesus Christ, his perfect life, Sacrificing the cross for our sins. God enters into a relationship with us and forgives us, restores us, and then sends us on mission with him. Let's pray. God, thank you that you do not treat us as we deserve. But because of your son, Jesus Christ, we are treated as sons and daughters. So Lord, we thank you today that you love us. You are calling us to yourself. No matter what we've done, you still love us. You still care for us. You still call us on mission. Lord, help us today. Lord, we need you, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.